The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 123, a wrestling movie extravaganza. Two podcast pitches enter. One will reign supreme. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. Podcasting fans, Angry Adam Okerlund here, welcoming you to the main event. Just one month ago, Sweet Maddie Treats and the House Show podcast, reportedly under the influence of spoiled car sushi, made some disparaging and off-color remarks about the members of the Sequel Quest podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my Trios Tag Team Partners, us, of course, defending the Trios Tag Team Champion. Who do we defend against, now that I think about it? Sequel Quest. Sequel Quest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sequel Quest. <laughs> Go f- This unprovoked attack sent a shockwave through the retro network as the makers of furious fake movies responded in kind. You all know that Sequel Quest is too sweet, and yet we got The Mouse Show thinking they could disrespect the sequel pack. You think we're not in competition for the TRN Trios Tag Team Championship? So you like to make jokes, huh? Well, next time those crickets start chirping, it won't be an awkward silence. It'll be because we stuffed that funny mouth of yours with $100 bills. Or Mr. Sacco. Anyway, you get it. And you're gonna get it when the sequel pack brings the podcast pain to the main event. Social media soon became the battleground as these podcasting pugilists began a flame war that would rival the legendary Mystery Science Theater 3000 debate of Joel versus Mike. Yes, memes and gifts were hurled intensely through cyberspace until the Sequel Quest crew decided to up the ante, claiming they had hacksawed the Twitter and Instagram accounts of the house show. This SWO, or Sequel Quest World Order, posted immature and inflammatory content in the name of at TRN House Show for 24 hours and taken to the brink. The current TRN Trios Tag Team Champions made their desires for a sanctioned match of the mics against their rivals to the TRN Commissioner, Mickey Arbor, and Podcasting General Manager, Jason Gross. The result, Podcasting Fans, is a battle for the ages, a Mad Mike Massacre, a plate of podcast punishment. Tonight, the worlds of retro wrestling analysis and fake movie pitching collide with the Trios Tag Team Championship on the line. It's Sequel Quest versus The House Show tonight on Pay-Per-View. Welcome to Joe Piscopo Memorial Arena. I'm your referee for tonight, Jeremy, and allow me to introduce you to our combatants. 
In this corner, the challengers from the Sequel Quest podcast and current holders of the Inter-Podcastinental Tag Team Championships, it's Big Sexy Jeff Campbell-Smith and Big Papa Pope. And in this corner, the reigning trios tag team champions of the Retro Network, Sweet Maddie Treats and the masked library Kevin Hellions. It's about to get serious in here. That's right. Because as you heard up top, we got a beef. We got some heat. We got some scores to settle. But tonight, we want to talk about wrestling and wrestling movies. Because we are fans, and we have the ultimate wrestling fans from the Retro Network here with us. Sweet Maddie Treats, Kevin Elliott, how is it going? It's going good. You know, it's a little uh, a little awkward being here. I feel like, you know, John Cena walking into ECW one night stand. The crowd is against us because we're on your turf, but we are here to defend the trios tag team champions. Uh, I know I'm here. Kevin Hellions is here. The educator wishes he was here, but he doesn't know who you guys are. So he's not going to be here. <laughs> oh, he'll know after tonight. I'll tell you what. <laughs> You know, one time I was asked my opinions of Sequel Quest. A friend came up to me and said, Kevin, is it ignorance or is it apathy? And I said, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, we've certainly made our stand on social media. We've sent some ideas your way, you know, for how you can improve the show or get out of your own way. But tonight... <laughs> We are here to help you bring your ideas for uh, wrestling movie sequels to the people, giving you a platform for sure. But this is this is what's exciting, you know, because Jeff and I, you know, we've been friends since high school. You guys have been friends for such a long time. So this is like two great tag teams coming together, talking about wrestling, but maybe from two different perspectives. Because back in the 90s, Jeff and I were definitely on the WCW train during this era of the Monday Night Wars. And for those who don't know, this was a time period where the WWF, which was the World Wrestling Federation, you know, Hulk Hogan, all of that was a very big deal. But Hulk Hogan had jumped ship and he had gone to WCW. And in his wake, a lot of other WWF wrestlers followed and were lured by Ted Turner's money to WCW. And so suddenly, WCW was getting eyes on it in a big way now nationally and all of the sudden now there is this war for ratings going back and forth and it, it was a time where you kind of had to choose your allegiance or if you had to be quick with that remote control going back and forth but jeremy very quickly before we get into yakking about this time period do you have any recollection of the nwo and the the attitude era of the wwf uh i remember them being a thing I remember the WWF getting sued by the Panda World Wildlife Federation <laughs> or Foundation, so they had to change their name. But beyond that, ah, I really didn't get into specifics. So this is kind of like my Jupiter Ascending episode. I'm out on it, not watching them, but you have to convince me here. 
Hey, if we can do Jupiter Ascending again, man, that's good news for us. <laughs> We're still riding off that one. But during this period, now, this is the question that I have for you, Sweet Maddie Treats, Kevin Hellions. For you guys, were you going between WCW and WWF watching all the content, or did you feel like you had an allegiance to one or the other? Well, I, I know for myself, obviously, we'd watch all of the content as, as much as you can back in the day when you didn't have, you know, streaming platforms and DVR and stuff like that, obviously with the switching, like you said, but uh, being a Northeastern New Yorker for me had to be the WWF. It's what I grew up with. My grandfather, huge into Bruno San Martino, of course, being from the New York area uh, and Italian, you, you had to like him or you weren't getting your spaghetti and meatballs on Sunday. So <laughs> it was for me, WWF all the way. Plus, they had the younger, hungrier wrestler. They didn't want to play second fiddle or as, you know, the mass library called it, uh, sequel fiddle. <laughs> I mean, during the height of the Monday Night Wars, like Treats is a little younger than the educator and I. So we were at college and I remember flipping back and forth. So for pay-per-views, we'd usually all get together at someone's house, but that was a little different on a Sunday. Monday, uh, and again, Treats would be in uh, high school at the time to say, oh yeah, we're all going to go over till 11, 11.05, 11.10, whenever the two shows end for the night and hang out on a Monday school night. Usually didn't go over that well. But for some reason, Sunday for pay-per-view made more sense. But we were totally WWF guys. WCW toured in our area once, maybe, mm. during the Monday Night Wars. WWE all the time. In fact, the first show I ever went to, I found out about from Treats' dad. And I was like, oh, I got to go, too. And it was in our hometown. But WCW, yeah, in the entire time, they toured our area once. But WWE, it's in their usual loop. So like once a year, at least maybe twice. Yeah, see, that that makes sense. Now, Jeff, I mean, obviously we were watching together, but prior to this period, were you watching wrestling? Were you checking in with WWF or WCW in elementary school during that period before we knew each other? No, well, at least for all, I guess you were in high school because for me, it was college. I didn't watch this in high school. It wasn't until college and then our friend Dave Cook was in into wrestling i think he got into it senior year in high school but we never really watched it i never watched it with him until we started college but yeah like i i was definitely not aware of i mean not that i wasn't aware everybody knew who hulk hogan was i had a vague idea that the ultimate warrior was cooler than the hulk hogan but that's about as far as i went so at the time yeah because i because and you're right yeah because i'm two years younger than jeff and so when they graduated and everybody had a lot more free time during the college years <laughs> yeah monday nights were no big deal yeah point. so but we but we used to even at high school pretty much every night our group of friends we just hung out together every night it's like homework whatever let's go hang out and so when they were in college we would just get together and, and go to somebody's house and we started watching nitro and yeah i'm sure it was dave who was the one that that was turning it on but soon we were all sucked in to wcw just like the spectacle of what they were doing over there and i really wasn't staying too connected with the wwf at that time you know so i didn't even know the rock i didn't know stone cold i didn't know anything that was going on over there i knew triple h because i knew hunter hearst helmsley from many years before you know the earlier 90s but so at this point i remember 
that we started really choosing our favorite characters on the show, right? Our favorite wrestlers. And we really started identifying with them. And one of the things that took off in our group, in addition to watching wrestling all the time, was playing role-playing games, specifically one called Riffs, which was an RPG that Kevin might know from comics. They always had a, a big ad in, I think it was usually Marvel Comics for Riffs yep. with this robot punching another robot's head in. I can picture it right now. Yeah. yeah. And so we used to play that all the time, or rather everybody else in the group played. I played once and I right. got kicked out. He's been banned for life. <laughs> we will not play without him again. Huh. I did not quite take it as seriously as everybody else. Or maybe you took it too seriously, I think. <laughs> you scared all of us out of playing anymore. So we'll just leave that to another day. That character name might end up being my in-ring persona, Rufus Kilgrave. That was my character's name. But Jeff chose a different name for his character and it just happened to coincide with the wrestling we were watching so in that particular campaign who was your character jeff okay more context is needed here so uh <laughs> my favorite wrestler at the time was scott hall and then as i found out more about scott hall i found out actually i liked him post outsiders then i found out he was part of the outsiders and i found out he was part of you know razor ramon and the whole sort of backstory and there was sort of the back and forth between him and kevin nash so as a role player now this has nothing to do with wrestling and it's the same way whenever i'm playing like a, an rpg game on like xbox or playstation or whatever I'm always that guy that wants my charisma to be as high as possible because I want to barter and I want to do all this sort of stuff. So I decided to create a character that had a max charisma. So he would just try and schmooze his way out of everything. So I decided to call him Big Sexy, that I wanted him to be the most attractive person. And he would just literally seduce everyone that he could, <laughs> which our, our DM didn't like that. Yeah, that didn't go very well. <laughs> Kevin Nash in an RPG scenario, yes. Well, not so Kevin Nash. No, no, no. Just a character <laughs> named Big Sexy, because he was literally seven feet tall, and he was, you know, and he would tackle people. That was kind of his thing. <laughs> And during this time now in WCW, obviously we had the Giant going on, right? And so the Giant was a big deal. He, he had been feuding with Hulk Hogan for a while. Then, you know, then W.O., everything is happening. And so also Hacksaw Jim Duggan had come into the WCW. So at one point, Jeff and I in high school were in a weightlifting class together all right and in this weightlifting class there were these two guys named kwong and owen as jeff called them their real names were kwong <laughs> and ian but he called them kwong and owen and not kwang don't don't get excited there mass library and we're not talking about kwang here oh but he was the mystery partner on an episode recently <laughs> they've been under a different name but they were like a real life beavis and butthead they were always like <laughs> you, you are dumb you are stupid pope and they knew me the best, Literally so they wouldn't even dark. talk to Jeff. They called him, <laughs> well, they called him a name that's not very PC these days. Let's put it that way. Wasn't Ben either, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, so during that time, though, they found out that we were talking wrestling. Our friends were starting to get into wrestling, and they were super hardcore wrestling fans. And, like, you know, they had ICP, the, the Strangle Mania tapes. Like, they had everything. And so I was talking to Ian, and he's like, who do you love? 
Pope. And I was telling him who I like, but he's like, no, you like the giant because you are fat, Pope. And then he talks to Jeff and he's like, he's like, who do you like? Like the one time he addressed him and Jeff's like, well, I kind of, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan's pretty cool. Well, no, that's because I pronounced it Dugan. Because again, well, this was before we got into wrestling. So they came and asked and I had never seen wrestling before in my life. So I was like, wasn't there a guy with a board? What was his name? Dugan? It's Duggan. I think his name was Dugan. And of course, I'm a pretty argumentative guy. So I convinced, I tried to convince them his name was Dugan. So yeah, that's what they called me from then on. Dugan. (laughs) And it was Dugan. Every time they saw him, they would just laugh. And then for me, it was the giant. And whenever they would see me on campus, they would just go, giant sucks. (laughs) And it became so much of a reflex for them that it wasn't even a joke anymore. They would just walk by and they'd be like, giant sucks. Like it was OCD. They had to say it. <laughs> that was just their routine now. Anytime, giant sucks. Yeah, so I, I became giant sucks. Jeff was Dugan. And then at one point for my birthday, and I don't know if it was Jeff or Dave, somebody bought me one of the WCW action figures, but it was of the giant Except that the action feature, I don't know if you guys remember this, you pushed a button on his side and he would vibrate. I guess it was supposed to show like anger or rage. I don't know. And it was just... And so the joke became, yes, giant vibrates. So there you go. You know, and of course, we played a lot of WCW uh, and WO World Tour and Revenge on the N64. There was a whole lot of that going on. But yeah, we, we were all in. And, you know, as far as favorite performers, when we really started watching, who stands out to you most in retrospect? Who was your, your guy? Well, it's, it's interesting. As I became more of a fan, like I kind of realized that we actually became fans during the downhill. So they call it the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> Even though WCW was clobbering the WWF on Monday, like they won I don't know how many Mondays in a row, it wasn't until Goldberg showed up and that everything started going downhill that that's when it kind of started going back and forth. And that's also when we started watching. So the one, and actually as I was preparing for this one, the one that I had totally forgot, and I think he's the unsung hero that never got a shot when WWF bought out WCW, Disco Inferno. Oh, he was, he was the, the forgotten, he was like gold dust, like gold dust on WWF where he would just never get enough respect for being just such an amazing performer, but just with like a lousy gimmick that it was just like, oh, here he comes again. But you'd watch him on the mic and you'd watch his performance. It's like, this guy's so great. And it just, it was heartbreaking and people got so sick of him and stuff like that. <laughs> Jeff always rooting for the underdog. Oh, it's just so good. <laughs> Uh, now, for me, my guys, see, what you guys have to understand is that Jeff and I, our group, we were theater kids. So we were in it for the performance aspect of wrestling. I mean... What? No, 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 no. You were in it for that. Because I'm a sports fan, my that's friend. That's true. So let's not get crazy here. <laughs> but for me, I loved the big personalities, right? Not the not the big physique, not the big charisma, but the personalities. The, the people who would come in that were just a 
little off. And for me, Ernest the Cat Miller was my guy. I loved his walking into the ring, you know. He was three-time world karate champion. So he's getting in there and he's telling everybody, I'm a three-time world karate champion. I'm the world's most dangerous man. I'm going to give you five seconds to get out of this ring. So he'd turn around. He'd start counting. Inevitably, by like the count of three, he would get clobbered by his opponent, who just was not being taken in by his intimidation techniques. Then he started doing these James Brown dance moves, because originally he was wearing semi-kimono, Asian-inspired with boxing shorts. He was kind of like a kickboxer-looking guy. And then he became like, started wearing a little newsboy cap, and he got a whole different look, Ernest the Cat Miller. But but I, I enjoyed his run immensely. And I know for Jeff and I as well, you know, Chris Jericho, Lionheart Chris Jericho at this time, before he jumped into the WWE, we recognized his comedy chops. In particular, Jeff, do you remember his introduction of all the cruiserweights to some type of battle royale style match? Do you remember this? I mean, not specifically, but that sounds about right. Yeah, well, he was on commentary, you know, so it's like people coming out like El Dandy and, you know, Psychosis that he probably wrestled with in Mexico. But then there are people like, he's like, and then this guy, Bobby Dum, Dumpkin, 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 you know, he's like, he would just purposely screw up people's names and mess with them. We were like, this guy is a genius. Plus, he had Ralphus with them, making fun of Gene Mean instead of Mean Gene. I mean, Chris Jericho, had a, he had a good run at WCW, not, you know, for any type of title, really. But entertainment factor, for sure. But on the other side, on the other channel, USA Network, that is where you have Maddie Treats and Kevin Hellions. They are watching, religiously, the WWF product. Where were you guys at at that point? Who were your main icons of that era, favorite moments? Well, I I know for myself, I was always a huge Bret Hart guy. Really loving everything he did up until the Montreal Screwjob. And then he ended up going to WCW and they squandered all of his talent. So I was always just a big Bret Hart guy. And then going through, I mean, with with our show, The House Show, I think we have a new appreciation, I think, for a lot of people. Mick Foley, Dude Love, Mankind, whatever you want to call him, The Three Faces of Foley. Unbelievable. Just rewatching the things that were happening before he got thrown off the cage, the hell in the cell, onto a, a table, you know, 20 feet below. And, you know, that catapulted his career, but also, you know, the amount of injuries and, he, and the stuff he put his body through. You, you tend to, myself as a theater geek, but also, too, my father is a sportscaster. So wrestling is like the perfect mix for me, as in performance and athletics. So to see, one, what a great performer McFoley is, but then the athletic portion of them that maybe I didn't see because I was a little bit younger growing up than, you know, the educator and the master library here. But uh, yeah, it's 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 fun looking back on the shows and seeing different performances that at the time you kind of overlooked. And now you're you're seeing that. And another one that sticks out to me, too, is uh, a guy by the name of D'Lo Brown, who was probably overlooked Mm. in the nation of domination. But just rewatching these, he's unbelievable. I mean, he's got so much charisma and it looks like he's having fun out there. And that's really, to me what kind of sold me on these performers. Totally agree. And uh, like Treats was saying, and Adam was saying as well, you can't discount the, the, the theater of it all, too. My wife was a theater major in college, and the first wrestling show she went to, the first live one, she's like, oh, my God, I get it. Oh, my God, this is theater. Like, that. it's theater. It's athletic theater. 
and she was sold on it as well. For someone that I loved, and this is partly to get treats to pop, but towards the end of the Monday Night Wars, we're forgetting the bastard child of ECW and a man that jumped ship between all three federations, and that's Raven. Oh. I just thought Raven was amazing. Mm-hmm. The more stories you find out about him, Raven is really, the guy in real life is more like Stevie Richards, but he had to be this dark, serious, moody, grungy guy. So all the goofy ideas he came up with, he had Stevie Richards do. And Stevie followed him into WCW as well and had a short WWE run. But I loved Raven so much because I was a huge Tommy Dreamer, Mark. I tried growing a goatee. I tried wearing clothes like him. I tried everything. I love Tommy Dreamer so much. And Treats and Educator will pick on me to this day about it. I was going to say, talk about the underdog. There you go. Well, the funny thing is, like, now Dreamer's probably 10 years older than me. But now we have very similar bodies. you finally got the physique that he always had (laughs) but yeah i mean raven was amazing with the flock what about me what about raven (laughs) like we enjoyed that for years and also i will say like as far as like in-ring performers at wcw kidman from the flock billy kidman was my favorite actual wrestler you know because ernest the cat miller not really a wrestler (laughs) but as far as wrestling ability i always loved kidman so yeah and i do also want to say too another performer that i was absolutely in love with was none other than the most downloaded woman in 1996 (laughs) uh sunny so you know her performance is outstanding blows everyone out of the water so not her current ones. Guys. Her later career struggled a little bit, but yeah, we we do not need a sequel to that movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> now here's the question I have for you guys because obviously, like the biggest cultural impact, I I think we could all agree of this era was the T-shirt sales because literally everybody in America either had a Stone Cold Steve Austin T-shirt or an NWO T-shirt. Did you guys own either or both? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I owned I owned both. You had to. I mean, they were the they were the cool shirts to wear and everyone it, it, it took over. It's crazy to me to think about wrestling back in the late 90s there because it really did take over pop culture. It's yeah. it's an odd thing to think that this nerdy thing that we love with these kind of like comic book characters come to life all of a sudden became, you know, the cover of TV guide and everything. And the ratings for both shows was through the roof. Like it's, it's absurd. So yeah, of course you had to, to represent. And, and really I think the stone cold and the NWO shirts were like the cool shirts you could wear. You couldn't get You couldn't always wear wrestling shirts because you would get picked on or made fun of, but the NWO and Austin 316 made it cool, you know, this this time period did. Yeah, even my wife, who grew up in rural Montana, I was talking about this show, and I was educating her on the NWO. She's like, oh, that's what that was? Oh, yeah, guys around <laughs> me wore those shirts all the time. I just didn't know it was wrestling. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, they really were just ubiquitous. It was just like, NWO, okay, sure. Dennis Rodman's wearing one? I'll wear one. <laughs> We're taking a time out to remind you that the TRN Podcast Brawl for All is brought to you by HalloweenCostumes.com, the widest selection of costumes online. Ooh, yeah! Get yourself one of three Macho Man Randy Savage outfits! Uh, How about coming down from the rafters in a 90s sting costume? Or if you can handle the female fury, 
a woman's ultimate warrior costume, complete with airbrush duster jacket. They even got an inflatable Andre the Giant costume. And oh yes, the fully sculpted Paul Bearer face mask to go with your Undertaker costume. They've got it all at HalloweenCostumes.com, where until October 31st, you can get 20% off one item by using the link found on the RetroNetwork.com. And for general retro pop culture merchandise, visit Fun.com, where you can get 15% off one item through December 31st using the link from the TRN website. So what are you waiting for? Brett screwed Brett. But don't screw yourself out of this deal, or you're fired. Now back to the podcast action. Now this is the thing that we're talking about the the pop culture dominance of wrestling, and wrestling had you know crossed over in the '80s. There was the rock and wrestling connection. You know, you had Cindy Lauper there with Wendy Richter and Mr. T at the first WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan getting TV stars, and then in the '90s, you know, you had Tyson finally showed up. Mania fourteen was when he was yep. the enforcer for Stone Cold versus HBK Shawn Michaels. Right. And I mean, WCW tried to get high level celebrities, but instead they ended up with, you know, Jay Leno, Carl Malone, uh, Carl Malone, big name, but in the wrestling ring, I don't know. I guess he was like, Lawrence Taylor did it. I could do it. And then obviously Dennis Rodman, which I was just watching the last dance documentary. I'm sure Jeff is going, you're watching sports documentaries. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. in there, they have the whole thing, like, during a championship series, Dennis Rodman ditches practice to go wrestle with Hulk Hogan on a WCW pay-per-view. And it's just like, huh? Like, and everybody was so mad about it. They're just like, he has brought disgrace on the team. So all those things. Now, for me, the biggest celebrities that crossed over into wrestling were Kiss, when they had the Demon, (laughs) and the Misfits. When Jerry only wrestled. Now, neither of those performers were terribly impressive. They did not represent the brand very well for either of my favorite bands at that time. Literally, (laughs) it was Kiss and Misfits were my favorite bands at that period. So I'm just like, they're bringing everything I love to the forefront in one. But yeah, but it was one of those things where, you know, WCW just didn't ever quite hit it correctly it felt like uh, you know in those later years but where everybody was trying to make their mark had been at movie theaters right so hulk hogan we're going to talk about maybe his first major starring role if you don't count rocky (laughs) three but as far as like you know i saw suburban commando in theaters i went and saw mr nanny i maybe ignored thunder in paradise but caught up with you know some of the others that passed uh, on tv here and there at the rental store so like hulk hogan was the one who crossed over roddy piper had done it earlier you know with they live and you know hell comes to Frogtown. so i mean there have been those crossovers and then eventually wcw decided to get into the movie game as well towards the last years of their existence before being absorbed by the wwe at that point right so this is what we are here to discuss tonight all right so we have brought on the members of the house show podcast so that they can bring us a sequel to a film infamous and available on amazon prime right now um, <laughs> for those who have never seen it but jeremy why don't you tell us what it is all right 1989's no holds barred starring hulk hogan tiny lister and kurt fuller directed by thomas j wright 
Rip is the World Wrestling Federation champion who is faithful to his fans and the network he wrestles for. Brell, the new head of the World Television Network, wants Rip to wrestle for his network. Rip refuses and goes back to his normal life. Still looking for a way to raise ratings, Brell initiates a show called The Battle of the Tough Guys, a violent brawling competition. A mysterious man, Zeus, wins the competition. This gets Brell to use him as an angle to get at Rip. Rip off! <laughs> All right. House show, lay it on us. What do you know about Noah Holtzbard? What can you tell us about the conception of this film and your favorite moments? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Favorite moments. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's so hard to pick. Yeah. Dookie. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it, you know what? It's funny, you know, and I rewatched uh, No Holds Barred because I hadn't watched it in years before, you know, coming in here. And uh, I always remember that they did a wrestling angle for it. And that's really where I, at the time, being so young at, the, at that point when the movie was coming out, just watching the wrestling shows and seeing Hulk Hogan, not Rip, but actually Hulk Hogan taking on Zeus in an actual match. So for me, that would be the main kind of memory I have. And the match was awful, by the way. So, yeah, uh, so for, the, for those who don't know, so Tiny Lister is a guy who plays Zeus in this movie. He's huge. He's intimidating. He's got a lazy eye. So it, he was an actor though you know hulk hogan is a wrestler playing as an actor tiny lister an actor playing a wrestler essentially and so yeah they brought him into this no holds barred pay-per-view match and tiny lister as zeus was being assisted his tag team partner was macho man randy savage right and then uh hulk hogan was hulk with did he have brutus the barber beefcake in that match yeah, they were already best friends. Yeah. <laughs> and so they had they had a match and everything, but it was, yes, yeah, so it was like, you know, a synergy between the film and all these things. But this was a film written by Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan in a hotel room. They wanted to get it right. Is <laughs> everyone going to make this movie? We're going to do it the right way. It's basically Hulk Hogan, but not, but it is the WWF, you know, so they do reference the World Wrestling Federation in it, but not the Hulk Hogan name. Maybe there was some legality. Kevin, you went over this when you were our guest on the Incredible Hulk sequel episode. So maybe there was something there. They don't want to pay Marvel Comics any more money from the movie sales. That deal was still going on. There was also, at the time, there was an attempt to get Hulk Hogan to be the next crossover action star. And Vince McMahon's idea was, well, look at Arnold. His first big crossover movie was Conan, and he barely says a word. We can do that with you. You don't have to really act. You don't have to speak well. You can just go out there and look big and beat people up, and we'll make millions of dollars. So they had the script. They hated it. Vince and Hulk went and sheltered themselves at a hotel and just stayed inside and didn't move and only left to go to the gym. And somehow they stayed up all night in the 80s. I'm not quite sure. It must have been <laughs> some sort of caffeinated drinks, I'm sure. And they wrote the script and they didn't know what to do and they didn't have an ending for it. And this legend is that they'd been up for days. And Hulk says, Vince, I got to go. And he goes into the bathroom and he passes out on the toilet. And he wakes up and had the ending of the movie. Doc Brown moment. Brown's one word for this movie. <laughs> 
Well, that's the one thing that I say, because I also rewatched it. I mean, I, I saw, you know, rented it back in the day as a kid. But, like, the movie, I always remember just being so grimy. It just It's just a sweaty, oily, grimy movie. I mean, I'm not just talking about the scenes in the bar where they have the, the tough man competitions. But, I mean, it's, just, it's a disgusting film, is how it feels. Except when the scenes involve Hulk Hogan. That it feels, like, light and like, hey, he's our hero. It's such a, a bright and shiny day with Hulk Hogan. But everybody else it is just like (laughs) including Kurt Fuller who I love from Ghostbusters 2 among many other films so he's a great bad guy but uh, Jeff have you ever seen this film I've seen it once and you're right that that was the main feel that I got from it is that it does it has a grimy it's like the filter that they used on the camera it just it (laughs) feels very not dark, but just like, I don't know. Yeah, grimy is maybe the best word for it. And ultimately, all it comes down to is this network executive is mad that Hulk Hogan wouldn't sign with him. He makes his own competing competition with people actually beating each other up. Not In this case, you know, wrestling is still, there's kayfabe, meaning that it's being protected. They're discussing it as though it is real competition between real individuals. So they're kind of saying, okay, but this guy's doing like no rules and so ultimately by the end it's just like okay zeus injures hulk hogan's younger brother and puts him in a wheelchair so now hulk has a reason to defeat him and he must do so and he does of course so we beg the question to you members of the house show podcast where do you take the no holds barred concept how do you turn this into a franchise oh we have an answer for you good sir (laughs) (laughs) yeah we did discussed this for hours and hours and hours and our three brains melted together to give you this cinematic masterpiece that we have coming up for you so we're like a voltron of pitches (laughs) take it away treats uh we'll do this uso style and just chime in absolutely okay so we are going with not a sequel but a reboot well a soft kind of reboot we start with our star ripley that's right not rip anymore it's ripley we're recasting the role and ripley will be played by tessa thompson (laughs) for those who don't know valkyrie from thor ragnarok or that men in black movie no one saw ed creed there's a hogan connection there ripley is the greatest wwe women's champion of all time she has won every title, main evented WrestleMania. She is an icon to all, but especially to little girls around the globe. Sports Illustrated and ESPN have called her the most recognizable woman on the planet. But once she has done it all, then what? Ripley was inspired by her WWE charity work. Side note here, if you're listening to this show, hi, Chad, I worked in Rip's charity work just for you. <laughs> Ripley was inspired by her WWE charity work and has become an ambassador for the Make-A-Wish program. She shattered John Cena's record, and her outspoken nature has brought more attention and funds to Make-A-Wish, allowing them to do even more for children, even the ones that didn't ask to meet Ripley. Meanwhile, while Ripley is away from the ring, a new streaming service wants the money and fame that the WWE and their superstars inspire. So I just want to point out here um, for this new streaming service, we're basing it on Jeff Bezos and Amazon Prime. So we're 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 thinking like a Stanley Tucci 
for our character, okay? And then in a nod to my to my parents, you know, growing up, my, my mother not getting many channels on television, loved watching Zorro, and my father, with his name being Melvin, our evil character of Mel Zorro is running the NRG streaming service. What is this? What is this? Besmirching <laughs> the name of Mel Zorro. You'll pay a hefty copyright fee for that, I'll tell you. <laughs> Just a shout out to my parents. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so NRG, which stands for New Wrestling Group, and its founder, Mel Zorro, have started a streaming war. They come up with a hot new wrestling company, signing away wrestlers and mixed martial artists from other federations. But they need a big name star to truly take that number one spot. Mel tries to sign Ripley away from her WWE Legends contract. Ripley's loyal and doesn't want to enter the ring again and take her attention away from her charity work. No one says no to Mel Zorro, and he hatches a plan to bring Ripley into NRG, kicking and screaming. Mel will send his goons to scare some of the Make-A-Wish kids that worship Ripley. The plan is just to put enough fear into the kids to get Ripley's attention. Instead, two of the goons take things a bit too far and physically harm one of the kids. Word of this gets back to Ripley, and she has never been more focused, more determined. But Mel anticipated this and has a plan. Now, Trace, this story's getting kind of big. What what do you think we should do here? Yeah, it's getting a little long. We're probably, what, 30, 40 minutes into our story so far, setting everything up. I think oh, we may have to turn No Holds Barred into long. maybe like a TV show. Ooh, on a streaming service? That sounds like a fantastic 2020 type of idea here. I mean, who would not want to binge, like, I don't know, 10 hours of Noel Holds Bard action continuously? I think you're right. 10? Hell, let's expand on that. Do you want me to keep going there, Mr. Treats? You know what? Why don't, yeah, why don't we try maybe 12, 13? Who knows? All right. Let me see if I can just come up with something off the top of my head here. With yeah, workshop it a little bit and get back to us. Okay, okay. Um... How about this? How about this? Go with me. Much like the 12 labors of Hercules, Ripley must face 12 of the most dangerous women on the planet. If she can defeat them all, she will avenge the children, stop Mel Zorro, and bring his NRG company down. As dominant as Ripley has been, this is a challenge even she may not be able to conquer. She has to bring in a trainer, a woman who has combined martial arts and gymnastics in innovative ways, a woman who has fought bad guys of every size for years, a woman full of power. Hmm. Ripley will be trained for this gauntlet by Amy Jo Johnson. <laughs> I like it. I like it. This story will be the first half of every episode with a final act featuring Ripley against her opponent of the week. Of course, for the educator, we miss you, dog. We're sorry you're not here this week. The Bella Twins will be in week one. <laughs> we will have Chris Cyborg, Shayna Baszler, Ronda Rousey, Gina Carano, and more. A new challenger every week. All of this will culminate in the final boss battle, a mysterious final battle against a mystery woman, one who has defeated all of the other women in the tournament beforehand, one that will be teased for the entire season. The lights in the arena darken, the music hits, the lights go pink. Hmm. It's a swerve. What? Joe Johnson is the final boss. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
I'm not. She knows all of Ripley's secrets. She knows her weaknesses. Ripley is stunned. She stares in disbelief that a Power Ranger could do something so heinous. How could you do this to me? You're a hero. Amy responds, I have always been a good guy. Didn't you ever see Turbo, a Power Rangers movie? Now that's a sequel. True. <laughs> True statement. It's never been said. Will Ripley defeat her former trainer? Will Amy Jo Johnson come back to the side of good? Will Mel Zorro be defeated? Vote for the house show to find out how this ends. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Uh oh. After, after credits tease. <laughs> if Ripley defeats Amy Jo Johnson, does she enter the battle of the tough guys for season two? I'm just throwing that out there. Franchise, guys. Franchise. This is impressive. Yes, indeed. This is what the people want these days. And uh, Jeff, I don't know how much uh, modern day wrestling you are following, but the women's divisions are often the most entertaining. You know, and some of the best wrestling that goes on out there. So this is uh, a great time to launch something like this. Well, not only that, you've got Glow winning Emmys. So yeah. female wrestling is, yeah, is rife for drama. Although I will say, if we are going to, uh, if I'm going to lend you the Mel Zorro IP for uh-huh. use in your film, I may have to, you know, use a little bit of my weight here, a little bit of my clout. I, I feel like, you know, in the vein of No Holds Barred, where you had a wrestler acting rather poorly as your main character, Tessa Thompson, a little too skilled, if you ask me. But I feel, I felt like the natural inheritor of the Rip persona and an attitude and aura not her current incarnation but her classic incarnation bailey can't we get bailey in there and she's like maybe on the actual work on the the wwe television this is how she goes from being a heel back to a face what do you think does she wrestle in jeans with the deep heads on the outside (laughs) that could be her thing i guess then we'll see if kimberly allows it maybe she takes that away Trying yeah. to sabotage her, her good luck knee pads. <laughs> we have a, we, you know, we have an expanded no holds barred universe, so we can expand. And each week on our television show, there's different challengers, twists and turns. It could be that one week Ripley has to take on the golden role models, which is Bailey and Sasha Banks together. And uh, we could play off with the current WWE product as well and really get that crossover appeal. Well, we shall see what the GM and the commissioner think about your pitch now moving off of no holds barred as we discussed just at the turn of the century wcw attempted to get into theaters in a big way and so what they did was they put together a film called ready to rumble Jeremy, what can you tell us about this film ready to rumble in 2000 starring david arquette scott con oliver platt and joe pantaleano Directed by Brian Robbins. Two dimwit sewage workers watch their hero, WCW wrestler Jimmy King, get screwed out of the world title by wrestler Diamond Dallas Page and evil WCW owner Titus Sinclair. They embark on a quest to help their hero win back his title and honor. Indeed, ready to rumble. Now, like I said, uh, I at least was on a high from WCW and enjoying their product every Monday night when this film came out. And so I went and saw this in theaters. Jeff, did we see this together? That is my question to you. Not 
a chance. No, no. I mean, if you, I was way done with WCW before this movie came out. But I remember going to theaters and seeing this film and saying, you know what? Oliver Platt is a comedic genius. It's true. Oliver Platt as Jimmy King. I will rule you. I mean, he's just like, he is fantastic in this film. That That is the thing that I say about Ready to Rumble. It is interesting that it was written by the guy who wrote all three Mighty Ducks films and Heavyweights. And then after this movie, Little Nicky. So he was kind of on a downward trend in the in the 2000s. But I, I just find it interesting that there's a quality of storytelling here that perhaps Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon did not have the chops to put together. And yes, there's a lot of infantile humor. They make fun of wrestling fans as idiots. But I also feel like it's a film that has heart and it manages to actually show some insight into the business. Like, this film breaks kayfabe in a big way when would you say that kayfabe was officially broken during what years did that really come out i mean if you're looking at the official official i i think people would probably point to the early 90s steroid trial and also too looking at when vince would have to go through with the wwf having to go through athletic commissions and he said whoa 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 wait a minute i don't want to have to pay this sort of sports tax for your athletic commissions we're performers we're we we are more like a play than we are like a baseball game so that is probably the first official so it was building yeah it was building people were starting to understand a little bit more about the choreographed nature of professional wrestling and so this film deals with behind the scenes whereas no holds barred is like taking it all 100 percent serious like wrestling is wrestling and these are real competitors and they're doing it and it's all for the glory this one is about basically people who worship the wcw wrestling roster finding out oh these are not good people and oh like it's all a show i mean jimmy king has a whole monologue where he talks about how, how it's just a show and they're dummies for not getting it and then like he makes them pay an appearance fee in order for them to see him you know he's all down on his luck because he gets kicked out of the wcw for being a little too high on himself and uh yeah so i mean that this this really kind of breaks down the business in a big way it's i i find it interesting from that respect because most wrestling movies otherwise never really did that you know go back to grunt the wrestling movie or <laughs> you know your go body back slam. to the real nitty gritty. your body slam you know again they're mostly just taking it seriously so this film also though shows that even if that is the case these characters of gordy played by david arquette and sean played by scott Kahn, are still going to go on this quest to help a man to pull himself back up to his former glory and so but yeah but there's so many like wcw wrestlers mixed into here uh one of jeff's favorite uh Juventud Guerrera, Jeff back in the day got a kick out of him. I'm going to do the Hoovy oh. Driver! And he would like pull the audience. He's like, Would you like to see me I do made this? I fun movie? of him. I don't know if he would call him <laughs> one of my favorites. I mean, there is a connective tissue between Ready to Rumble and No Holds Barred. And that is none other than my favorite wrestling personality, period, Mean Gene Okerlund. 
He is in both films. <laughs> so, so my question to you is: Does No Holds Barred and Ready to Rumble live in the Mean Gene Okerlund universe? Yes, it is. It is the Geneverse. Yeah, are they? You know, is it? Are they in that same realm? So. They had to have a tie-in over at Mean Jeans Burgers, which I've been to. I feel like that was the best part of Ready to Rumble also, was Mean Gene gets drunk at a party, and he's like, do they think I'm sexy? <laughs> Jimmy King's like, oh, I think you are, Gene. <laughs> so, drunk Mean Gene, which apparently is not too far from the truth, from what we nope. hear backstage stories. If, you, if you've ever seen the collection of mean gene bloopers when they just tape interviews all day long oh my god so good or the uh what was it legends house the wwe reality show where they put all the old wrestlers in a house together like the real world and uh mean gene's just drinking vodka nonstop. (laughs) (laughs) it's actually pretty entertaining the show uh r.i.p mean gene we miss ya so what's interesting though i'll mention about this is so back in the in the 90s you know wcw their vince mcmahon if you will was eric bischoff so he was the guy you know on screen running the show making the decisions everybody hated bischoff you know he gets in with the nwo whatever and in this movie he was supposed to play the evil owner of wcw who's played by joey pants joe pantiliano but he had been fired by wcw for a brief period while this movie was getting made and so he didn't get to play himself in the movie they hired this other actor to do it instead i was just actually just listening to uh, his podcast 83 weeks but the biggest deal about all of this is that after the movie came out david arquette was put into the WCW, into the ring as a wrestler, first interfering, but then getting booked in a match against Eric Bischoff and DDP, I believe. Tag match, yeah. Was his partner Chris Canyon in that one? DDP and Arquette against Bischoff yeah, and Jarrett. Arquette was the good guy. Yeah. Chris Canyon is actually in the Ready to Rumble match, which is later featuring the three cages yeah. and a pay-per-view. Yeah, so but there there was this fully sanctioned match and David Arquette basically kind of fumbles his way into winning the WCW World Heavyweight title. And he becomes the, the champion of WCW and wrestling fans everywhere, a collective groan. Oh, no. Because think about the kind of roles David Arquette, you know, he's yes, he was in Scream, but he's Dewey the Idiot. You know, like, any movie you saw him in, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, was where I knew him from. So a lot of people are just like, this guy's just a goofball. But what people didn't know is David Arquette is a huge wrestling fan. He loves and respects wrestling. And it wasn't his idea to be put into this angle to become the champion. It was just Vince Russo, who was the booker, the guy who comes up with the ideas for the matches, for those of you who don't know that term. He always loved to do what he called a swerve. And that meant defy audience expectations give them something they don't see coming and obviously nobody saw this coming and so david arquette you know is champion for a while and you know eventually there is a match like uh maddie just said where there's a a triple cage match where so you have two cages stacked on top of another cage and if you get to the top the championship belt is there and you can win that goes down he loses the title he's out of wrestling but he became like this hated figure and david arquette was just a laughing stock people were 
just like, ah, oh, he ruined, he killed WCW, you know? Or they already blamed him. But again, not knowing that he is a guy who took this opportunity to do something he loved and tried to make the best of it. So much so that while we are going to be pitching a sequel to Ready to Rumble, technically this last week, a sequel to Ready to Rumble already came out in the form of a documentary called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Because for the last five years or so, David Arquette actually has been training again as a wrestler and has been wrestling independent shows. He was he did go on WWE programming as well so he's been in the major spotlight but he has been doing actual wrestling because he loves the business but he wanted to win the respect of people he wanted to say look it mattered to me and so he's been claiming that and so there's a documentary covering all these matches one in particular that was a a hardcore death match which he got seriously injured almost cut his jugular it was pretty intense it's against nick gage and it's it's tough to watch. Yeah. He, he's he got the respect now. Yeah, for sure. Like, you, you see what he put himself through, what he was willing to do to say, look, I'm serious about this. And so for those who are curious and want the rest of that story, go check it out. I'm definitely going to watch it this week. I was hoping to get it in before the show, but I didn't get a chance to. Well, I would like to say, as a former WCW fan, even though it wasn't his fault, which, again, anybody that knows anything about wrestling, you got to blame the promoters and the writers and the stuff like that. It was it was not the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end was when uh, they had to replace Macho Man with Carl Malone. Well, anyway, side note, but the thing that always cracks me up about the Monday Night Wars is that we seem to remember that WWF won the Monday Night Wars. Oh, no. No, if you ask me, WCW lost the Monday Night Wars. They just they basically <laughs> stabbed themselves multiple times, and then WWF just picked up the, the leftovers. Well, to show you how far WCW had fallen at the time, Arcat won that title in Syracuse, New York, and none of us had any interest in going to that show. <laughs> I am today years old figuring out that that show was in Syracuse. That was really in Syracuse. <laughs> yeah. And we're all like, ew, Nitro? Ew, gross. I don't want to see WCW. Yeah. That was the one time it came to the, the area. One time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the major uh, title changes in the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah. Funny thing about Ready to Rumble, at least on my end, is I refused to watch this movie for years because of the David Arquette winning the title i was like i'm just not even going to put myself through it it's probably not even a good movie to begin with so probably not to i would say like 10 years later probably in 2010 i was like oh i might as well check it out might have been on a streaming service or something and that was the right call by me early <laughs> the other side of that uh, revisiting my theater experience with it i actually bought the out-of-print DVD of Ready to Rumble yes, yep. so that I could get the commentary track featuring Scott Kahn, David Arquette, and Ahmet Zappa, who plays a convenience store clerk who's a jerk just at the beginning of the film and the end. Like, let's, And so they're watching the movie. They're eating corn nuts. They're just kind of talking about the locations. Everybody keeps asking David Arquette, why are you telling them where we filmed this? He's like, because it's a commentary. That's why people are listening. They're like, ah, they don't care. <laughs> 
And at one point, David Arquette, I will say also, is constantly like shouting the praises. He's like, okay, that was Chris Canyon as Jimmy King. So he's trying to give everybody credit. He's talking about the business. He's trying to give it respect. And the other guys are just crapping all over it. They're just like, ah, it's fake. It's this, it's that, you know? And he's like, so again, you know, he's trying to be the, the hero of the wrestling fan there to the best of his ability. The only thing I learned from this commentary track was that there is a scene, you know, they they drive a sewage truck or they they pump poop out of porta potties for a living. And there is a scene where they crash after Jimmy King loses his title and is ambushed, and poop goes everywhere at a certain point after the police arrive at the scene. And what I learned was that was hot chocolate is what they sprayed on everybody because <laughs> it was a cold night. That's the fun fact I have to share with you about the making of Ready to Rumble. Uh, But we are here to talk about the future. How do you turn this into a franchise that people will not look on with disdain in the wake of You Cannot Kill, David Arquette? Can you bring it back to the role? Let's find out. Jeff and I have uh, also put our heads together. So, Norman Smiley has been murdered, and his screaming was heard blocks away. And not just that second string jobber, Gilberg and poor sweet Ralphus are also down for the count. In the grave. Now it's up to Gordy, played by David Arquette, and Sean, played by Scott Kahn, to discover just who is burying WCW talent, and not just in the ring this time. Gordy announces that he has a family member with experience in discovering the identity of serial killers and calls it a favor. Yes, his cousin Deputy Dewey Riley, who has survived the wrath of the Ghostface Killer on multiple occasions. Big Sexy Kevin Nash and Hollywood Hulk Hogan are the prime suspects, as they've been burying other talent for years with their booking. But they have an alibi. They were meeting with Hollywood executives about potential new movie projects. Dewey confirms this when he calls the producers of the Stab film franchise, who were involved in the meetings. In the meantime, Disco Inferno is ironically burned alive in his car, and Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright, is hung by his own lederhosen while Vincent is missing, presumed lonely at an autograph table at any convention within walking distance. Next on the suspects list is Vince Russo, who keeps swerving the trio with crazy answers. He tries to book them in an alibi on a pole match, but turning the tables on Russo is somehow convinced to make the actor, David Arquette, WCW champion, to set him up as a potential target for the killer. Charged with guarding Arquette, Dewey is way overprotective and keeps everybody away from Arquette, even though no one backstage or in the locker room even knows who he is. In the meantime, Gordy and Arquette begin planning their championship match, and every time people bring up their resemblance to one another, they just blow it off. So yes, this man, David Arquette, is in fact a triple threat in our film Ready to Rumble with the number two. But Jeff, where do we take it from here? So... As they're planning this title match, the other prominent wrestlers object to Gordy getting this title shot because Gordy is too new. He's not even really a wrestler at all. So one by one, though, every prominent contender who ends up objecting ends up winding up dead. So, of course, there would be a moment of showing like Stevie Ray and Conan and nobody's killing them. And they're like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's not talk about it. And they all die in colorful but non-wrestling. That would be a little too close to home. Non-wrestling related death. So anyway, Super Brawl is coming up. But now they still want to drive towards this main event of Gordy wrestling Arquette. But there's not enough wrestlers to fill the card. So now they need to actually audition new talent, bringing them up from some of the smaller promotions. So they ended up auditioning some luchadors, some women, tag teams, extreme... Every single one of them played by David Arquette, wearing a wig, <laughs> wearing a mask, wearing a... We've got more Arquettes than you know what to do with, and everyone's dead who would notice anything different. So the day of the event comes, and it's the greatest pay-per-view they have ever done. I mean, the fans are going crazy, and the ratings are blowing up, and everything is going great with all of the Arquettes. So then the final match finally goes... Um, but right before the final, Gordy pins David Arquette, but Earl Hebner, the, the referee, refuses to, to do like one, two, uh, and won't do three. And then Gordy's upset, what's going on, everything like that. And then as he's getting up in Earl Hebner's face, turns around to see that Arquette, the re- quote-unquote real Arquette, is standing there, apparently recuperating, and pulls off a mask to reveal that he is actually Vince McMahon, who has been killing off all of the wrestlers and sinking (laughs) the company by making the worst champion of all time, David Arquette. So Gordy does end up finally wrestling him and defeating him for real and vows to rebuild the WCW without all these mistakes and vows to name it the Amazingly Entertaining Wrestling Company, or AEW. (laughs) How about it? So sorry, David Arquette, I totally threw you under the bus, but... (laughs) Hey, man, he'll take it, man. That's an opportunity to to Eddie Murphy this, man. I mean, you get more Arquettes than you you can count on on, on all toes. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, any notes for us, the house show? My God. (laughs) <laughs> um, a lot of our cats. A lot of our cats. We didn't work Patricia in there. That's true. Um, where's my Rose McGowan? She's a villain in the last one. She doesn't get to come back. You, you want a redemption story? You, you shut your face. She could never be a villain. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, there's a group of fans that absolutely believe Hall and Nash were sent to WCW by Vince McMahon to destroy the company. <laughs> oh wow that's a good conspiracy <laughs> the only thing I, I was a little sad jeff that in your pitch you chose wwe referee it makes sense for the story but i was really hoping little nature was going to make an appearance here Ooh. I, w- oh. I, w- I would Earl also Robinson. suggest yeah. too you gotta use earl hebner <laughs> i think you use earl but you also use his twin brother yeah. Ooh, well, when the mask was coming off, I thought it was here. Dave. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he had a twin brother. Yeah. Okay. He got a double Hebner. <laughs> One more little wrestling nugget here that you kind of got in there. I don't know that you're aware. But when WWE bought WCW, they did try to reboot it. And the end of Raw, like the last hour, was supposed to be WCW Nitro. They changed over the ring apron, the you mm. know some of the sets, bring out new announcers. They had one match as main event of Raw, and the match was so terrible it scrapped the plans completely. <laughs> Booker T against Buff Bagwell. Man, Buff is the stuff. And uh, get well soon, Buff. Just in a car accident, right? Was he? I saw the cameo. Thought that's what we were talking about. 
in our local thrift store, I found one of those big, like, Joker hats with red flames on it. I was like, this is a Buff Bagwell hat. I am buying this. I'm never going to wear it, but it's just so I can pay tribute to Buff. Just so a little uh, where are they now, too, for the Disco Inferno. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I frequent Las Vegas quite a bit. And the Disco Inferno uh, sets up table reservations for a gentleman's club in Las Vegas. So what? you can call Sapphire and uh, talk to the Disco Inferno and have him get you set up with the reservations. He's like he's the manager of the table reservations. Good work if you can get it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Are any of the Nitro girls working at the club? Oh. I don't know. Well, one's married to Shawn Michaels. Ah, yes. One's married to Booker T. Well, there you yeah. go. It says Disco and Eli Drake wrestled Raven and Tommy Dreamer two years ago. And Best then, of all worlds. And it's also funny, too, that you bring up, you know, the um, in the original rundown of Ready to Rumble, the Oliver Plant character, because there is a independent wrestler by the name of Warhorse who was just on AEW, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, who actually uses the rule ass catchphrase. So there is like a cult following for Ready to Rumble now with the younger generation. Yeah, well, that is fantastic. Maybe it will rise to prominence once again. We can get this off the ground. But the choice will not be ours. That is right. We knew that in this case, we might have a double Hebner situation. We would have a Dave Hebner in our pocket in the form of Jeremy. And so, for that reason, we decided we want this to be a fair fight. Therefore, we are sending the decision to our GM and our commissioner at the Retro Network. That's right. Jason and Mickey will determine which of these pitches wins yes which of these pitches will possibly be financed by the retro network in the future and we will get this movie made so you will have to listen to the main retro network podcast and you will get the verdict there Ooh, cliffhanger but yes we are we're not gonna swerve you here no 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 we respect the house show too much somebody has to oh Anyway, with that, Maddie Treats, Kevin Hellions, we thank you for coming into our house. Well, thanks for having us. I, I think it's safe to say when you when you go to war for 12 rounds and you stand and you go blow for blow with another you know, podcast, there's a little respect there. So appreciate it and thank you for, for standing in and trading blows with us. You know, everyone's picking on me for being such a mark, but it's like Eddie Kingston does for his stuff. I may not like you, but I respect you. <laughs> and so it is. We thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Kevin, why don't you tell them where they can find you guys on the Retro Network? All right. Every Thursday for our main review show and Monday for a quick little wrap-up of the week in wrestling, you can find us on the House Show podcast its own feed or as part of the trn main feed uh you can find us across social media at trn house show you can find matt at maddie treats you can find me at mask library and you can find the educator on his yacht because he refuses to do social media and guys in all seriousness it is a very fun show if you enjoyed wrestling if you just like hearing friends having a good time talking about something that they love and have a passion for check out the house show there are also some great inside jokes so you need to go back and listen from the beginning because <laughs> if you don't know about car sushi oh my goodness you you gotta learn and if you aren't a fan of cricket sounds if you have some sort of aversion to that 
maybe you do have to avoid the show because uh, <laughs> Kevin induces crickets on a regular basis. Uh, every episode. There's got to be like some terrible <laughs> comments, Kevin. It just comes to me naturally. But Jeremy, tell them where they can find Sequel Quest these days. You can still find us on the Retro Network podcast feed, but you can also find us just about everywhere again on our own Sequel Quest podcast feed in all of your places of choice. And so thank you so much, everybody, for checking this episode out. We hope you had a good time enjoying the excitement that we bring you, this podcast entertainment that rules the world. And until next time... I will rule you! We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue to fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.